differentiate themselves from every other podcast out there. My name is Hayden, and today I'm joined by Joe from the Kyra Culture for the first time in 2023. It's been a minute, man. How are you doing? Dude, I am fantastic. I'm glad to be back on the show, and um, I feel like we haven't collabed in some time, so it's I'm glad that we're doing it to kick off 2023, you know? Yeah. This is great. Absolutely. I agree. I don't know how it's been so long without an episode happening. I think just like six months just kind of passed by and both of us were like, holy shit, it's been six months. Let's uh, let's get another episode on the go. Yeah, for real. No, it's time is um, it's yeah, time is nuts. (laughs) Yeah, it's disturbing. The older you get, the more it's just like complete. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. 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 What have you been up to though, man? You been up to anything cool recently or how's life been? Life has been, uh, you know, the start of 2023. It's, um, it's, it's good. I, uh, I, I feel good about the year. Um, like I feel optimistic about it. Like something that I talk to my co-hosts all the time is that like, it's like whenever we're looking forward to a show or a movie and we're kind of like skeptical on it, but we're still looking forward to it at the same time. We're always like, oh, I'm like cautiously optimistic about it, you know? Yeah. And um, that that's kind of how I feel on the year. Like there, there, there's no like optimism that will match like how I felt about 2020 going, like going into 2020. And then everyone knows how that ended up. So yeah. like me going into every new year is kind of like, like 2021, I was like, all right, whatever. 2022, I'm like feeling, feeling better about like going to new year. And 2023, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty solid. And like, so far it's been going, uh, everything is going swell. Yeah. Um, good to hear. Yeah. I was just on the East coast. I, I visited New York for like a week, visited, um, headquarters for, for my job. So that was a good time. And, um, and yeah, no, it, everything is kind of business as usual, you know? Nice. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely relate. And I also relate to like the feeling of like, 2020 I was like this is going to be my year. I am I'm am yeah. set for I am set for this year. And then after that I've just been like all right, I'm not saying that ever again. <laughs> that that didn't go very well. So every year I'm just like, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, it makes me sound like very very pessimist, but like I mean, you know, like 2020 happened. Like what what do you want from me? You we got to be realistic about it. It's not it's not pessimistic, but more so just realistic. And yeah. It's not to act like every year after 2020 is going to be like a shit show. It's just to say like after that year, I'm just going to like step back a little bit and let it be what it's going to be. Listen, it it just scarred me, okay? Like yeah, there's a little bit of damage, Give me a break. Sure. <laughs> I feel it. Yeah. I feel it. Um yeah. yeah, no, we're going to be you? talking, things have been good for me as well, man. I, you know, I, since the last time we spoke, I've moved into a new house and that's been pretty great. I'm just working a lot, just trying to make some money and just living life. It's kind of like that, um, you know, when life slips into a little bit of a period where it's just like work, go home, watch a movie, do a podcast, mm-hmm. work. It's kind of in that period right now, but, um, but things have been pretty good. So I can't complain too much. Hell yeah. Good to hear. Since we last spoke, I was, you know, I went to to Florida and I went on a cruise. And so that was fantastic. I think the listeners of this pod have probably heard enough about that. So I won't linger on it. But yeah, it was is great. this the cruise with the movie theater? With the IMAX theater. Yeah. With, with the, the IMAX. Top, nice. Nice. Top Gun Maverick. I was just like, I was drunk day in, day out. Like, should I, should I waste my time in the middle of the Caribbean going to watch Top Gun Maverick? Or is that a, is that a sound investment of my day? <laughs> Love to hear it. The ultimate dilemma. Yeah. But uh, we're going to be getting into all the insanity that is Babylon. Lots of debauchery, lots of chaos, lots of sex. Um, 
just an absolutely bonkers movie from from Damien Chazelle. What is your like relationship with Damien Chazelle as a filmmaker? Have you seen his other stuff and were, were you a fan? <clears throat> the only ones that I'm familiar with are the big ones, La La Land and Whiplash. Um, okay, yeah. Nothing else really, but uh but no, I I remember reading um one of your reviews. It was either on Letterboxd or Instagram where you said how uh like Babylon is uh like the little brother or the brother to La La Land just just absolutely like like shitty but not like in a bad way shitty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just it's it's like the brother that just loves to party too much. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember exactly what I wrote here. One sec, I'll get it cuz I do think it's funny. Yeah, I just right after watching Babylon, I went on Letterboxd and I just wrote the coke addicted heavily troubled sibling of La La Land. <laughs> um which I do That's think perfect. sums up the movie. Yeah. For real. No, that that is that's really it, you know? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of Damien Chazelle's because I think he has such a, an interesting eye. I mean, he's become really known for these whip pans that he does, this very like frenetic kind of fast-moving style of filmmaking. Um, but he also tells these stories about like very often like self-destruction is something that, he, that he's very good at telling the story of with Whiplash. And La La Land is not so much a story of self-destruction, but more so just like the the way you'll you'll sacrifice things for your pursuit of your dreams. And I actually I never watched First Man, which was his um his movie with Ryan oh, Gosling, I've I believe was in it. I've yeah, Ryan Gosling was in that. I've seen First Man actually. Okay. Um I, I thought it was a little a little too slow for me, but like, you know. I think the I I I'm gonna guess here, but I'm really big on Hoyt Van Hoytema. Do you know what mm-hmm. that is? Yeah. Cinematographer. I think he did the cinematography on that, maybe. I yeah. could be guessing, but he also did nope, um, right? Yes, nope, and uh, I think he also did Interstellar. Nice. I I know for sure he did Interstellar because that's what I I just rewatched Interstellar recently. So <laughs> still hits. It still hits like still, the first time. Still rips. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. First man. I feel like that's like. I mean, you you look at the the four movies that we just mentioned, like. La La Land, Whiplash, Babylon, then First Man is just like, First Man is kind of like the outlier here, you know? It is, is, yeah. (laughs) It's like one of these is not like the other sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I, you know, Damien Chazelle, he's he's cool, yeah. I'm a big fan of of Whiplash and La La Land, and I do think that there's something to be said about the fact that Damien Chazelle, he's actually only made four movies. You, You said... You you're not too familiar. Are those with the him, only ones? Yeah, you've actually seen all of his, oh. all of his movies. Yeah, he's, got, <laughs> oh, he's, shit. Got the, he's only got the four. So I think it is a testament to the fact that he's only made four movies, and out of those, two are modern masterpieces, and two of the other ones are maybe a little bit on the outliers there. But La La Land and Whiplash are are some of the most acclaimed movies of our of our time. So I think there's something to be said about the fact that he kind of just burst onto the scene and then immediately proved to everyone. It feels like like. Yeah, yeah, no, it feels like he burst onto the scene and like for me not knowing too much about him, I thought he'd already like he he feels like established already, you know? Right. Yeah. And I feel like he has like I felt that he had other movies that I just wasn't like like I, I thought he had a huge filmography, but you know, if he only has four movies, that's that's great. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's it's actually crazy that he only has four movies, one of them being Babylon, and he convinced studios to let him make this movie. I, I think that that's just an absurd, but yeah. You know, they let it happen, so I'm all here for it. Um, yeah. I guess, like, expanding on Babylon a little bit, like, general impressions when you were, like, first out of the theater, like, spoiler-free. Um, what were your thoughts on Babylon as, as a movie? I 
I knew going into it that I was just like, okay, like early reviews are kind of tough, but I was like, I, I was looking forward to this movie. Like it was one of my anticipated movies of 2022. And um, I was like, there's no way that it's like a 50 on Rotten Tomatoes. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then uh, while I was watching, I was just, I was just going into it and I was like, okay, I'm just here for the party. Like, if nothing else happens, I'm here for the party and I'm here for movie, like a movie about making movies. Right. So the fact that I got like both of those things, I was like, yeah, no, it it works for me. And then um, the, the ending is just so like, yeah. it's ridiculous. A lot of people really don't like the ending. Mm -hmm. Like whenever, whenever I talk to people about it, they're like, Oh yeah, no, I liked the rest of the movie, but I didn't like the ending. I was like, but I, I, I just thought it was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, we'll definitely, we'll get all into the ending. Cause I have so much. Yeah, no, I won't, I won't spoil it. Yeah. It's, but it the, is the ending hilarious. is ridiculous. It's yeah. one of the biggest swings I've seen from like a filmmaker in a very long time to just be like, and this is how I'm going to end this three hour and nine minute story. What do you think of it? It's just like, <laughs> everyone's going one way or they're going the other way. Yeah. And no, like, I mean, I, I guess just cap it off. I mean, as far as general thoughts are concerned, I mean, Margot Robbie and what, what's the, what's the other leads name in this? Uh, Diego, is it Diego Cava. Uh -huh. Yeah. Diego Cava. They're both, both of them are phenomenal in this. Um, yeah, no, Diego Calva, he has like a, I feel like he has a chance to really shine in, in kind of like the second hour of this movie. Um, but Margaret Robbie is just, you know, firing on all cylinders all throughout. So I, I really liked, uh, like them in this. And the yeah. music's awesome. I mean, the music just won, uh, what, they won Best Original Score at the Golden Globes. So, yeah, um, Justin Hurwitz's score. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I completely, agree i had like a similar reaction with this movie where i seen all the re all the reviews start to come in and all the early reactions start to come in and i was like oh no this is not what i was hoping to see it's not what i want to see everybody was just describing it as like a overly indulgent uh mess like just like a complete narrative failure um a lot of harsh reactions coming away from this movie for a lot of people when they first first were talking about it and i think that set me up for a little bit of failure because i was like okay, maybe I should curb my expectations a little bit. But upon watching Babylon, I, the movie ended, and I was like, holy fuck, I, I loved that. That, that movie absolutely <laughs> ripped. Um, just pure energy on the screen for like three hours and nine minutes. And um, I talked a little bit on our top 10 episode of, uh, of, or top 10 of 2022 episode, but this movie made it pretty high up in my, in my top 10. I, I really enjoyed Babylon, but it is one of those ones where talking about it, it's been such a divisive reaction. So you'll... You tell people you like it and they're either like, yeah, absolutely, Babylon Hive. Or they're like, that movie fucking sucked. And it's I've, I've found the reactions to it to be so intense and so interesting. I've heard people at work, too. Like, like at work, I, I we just all sit in these little cubicles and someone was like, oh, did you see Babylon? And they weren't asking me. They were just talking to someone else. And then they're like, oh, yeah, it was awful. I was like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. And I, mean, I was like. That, that's yeah. the la crowd saying that right like you you're out yeah, there, yeah. You, you're hearing the firsthand response from like the people who this movie was kind of targeted at and yeah so i find i find that interesting <laughs> yeah no i mean i don't think it's like like it obviously takes place like you know the opening scene takes place like uh like in bel-air but it's all very much like you know takes place in la but it doesn't really feel like it if that makes sense, mostly because mm -hmm. like it's it's like a 
takes place like back in the day. So there's nothing like super LA about it that at least visually that you wouldn't know besides like the, the location title cards or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like even when they're in Bel Air at the very beginning of the movie, it's, it's, it's not developed yet. There's, it's really just a a house on a hill and there's really nothing surrounding it yet. Yeah. So it's not until like towards the end and I'm sure we'll talk about it where, you know, like it's, you know, a certain studio or whatever, but we'll talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. I had read a review for this movie that described it as being at a party with a film bro, and he's throwing all of his movie knowledge at you at once, but you're already drunk, so it doesn't bother you. Um, <clears throat> and I thought that that review just like kind of perfectly encapsulated it, because I've, I've heard people who have walked away from this movie being like, it's super pretentious. If you don't care about movies, you won't care about it. Um, and maybe that's true. But I feel like the entire movie, it's just like you're in this state where you're just like, yeah, like maybe it's a little pretentious or a little annoying, but I'm not really like bothered by it. Did you have yeah. a similar reaction where like any of it was like it's very film broy, but did any of that ever get on your nerves or was it kind of just like a a fun watch for you? It was a fun watch. I mean, I don't think there's like any moment where it's like, oh, you need to know like this about filmmaking in order to appreciate it. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like a lot of it's just very accessible. It's just like a day in the life of like if you don't know anything about filmmaking, well, like here's like a day on set. It could be fucking he- like absolutely hectic, you know. Yeah. Like so- some of the shots will take forever, and um, but there's there's no like references where it's like there's no like deep cut references if that makes sense. You know right. what I mean? In the filmmaking world, like it's like oh like you won't know this unless you've actually worked on a set. You know what I mean? I don't think there's anything like that in this movie. I agree. Um, yeah. So as far as like. Like, you know, after the opening scene where it's just a party, they go straight to set and it's like, okay, well, they're just doing multiple takes of everything. And like, it's like this, this location is like filming like Margot Robbie's movie, but they're also filming like a war movie, like across the way. And then they're filming like another movie, like across the way, you know, it's, it's like, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I completely, I completely agree. I, I didn't ever find it to be overbearing or overly annoying or overly uh, film broy at any point either. I think that I can completely understand that discourse and the fact that there are people walking away from the movie with that opinion. But while watching it, I was never like, and I mean, maybe it's like I, I do know about all that movie stuff, but I feel like if if you didn't, you could it's still just a walk plus. away from it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It just it just adds to the experience. It doesn't like ruin the movie. If you don't know about that stuff. Yeah, because like either way, it's like all you really need to understand is the crazy bits of it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think like one of the things about Babylon, and this kind of goes back to where we have started the conversation about like people's reactions to it is it's like it's a tricky one to recommend to people because it's a three hour and nine minute movie about old Hollywood. But more than that, it's filled with sex, drugs, shit, death, really all of this chaos. <laughs> Um, and so I find myself at a standstill with it where I'm like, my grandfather would love all the Hollywood stuff about this movie, but he'd hate all like the debauchery about this movie. But then on the other note, I have friends who would love the debauchery of the movie, but would hate all the, the Hollywood stuff about it. So I guess what, like what I'm saying is like, who would you recommend this movie to like in your personal life? And like, who do you think this movie was like made for? I think the only people that I could recommend this to... I would say, like, I would have to, like, do some research and figure out which of my friends or which people I know, for one, have seen 
for example, like Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if I know anyone that's a fan of Wolf of Wall Street, then I'll recommend it to them. Um, but to be honest with you, Hayden, there's not a lot of people in my life that like appreciate like uh, like behind the scenes stuff or just like or just are you know people that just go to the movies or just watch movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the only way that I can recommend it to people because recommending it to like I I know some folks that are like you know quote unquote filmmakers like they they work on movies and stuff. Um. But honestly, I'm not sure that they would be into this. Uh, right, right. Yeah, but uh, but definitely the Wolf of Wall Street people, absolutely, because it it has that same type of energy, at least for some parts of the film. You know. Yeah. No, I completely so. agree with that. I think that's actually a great uh, reference point. It's like if you're into that kind of chaos and that loud style and that constantly moving vibe of Wolf of Wall Street, then I think you might like Babylon. But that's actually and very, the uncut gems people. Un, I yeah. think the uncut gems crowd would also like this. Yeah, it's very much for people who like that kind of constant anxiety, um, you know, sort of type of movie like that. Yeah, yeah. So. No, I find that interesting though because I even am at the same standstill. Um, I wanted to. Wesley didn't get the chance to see this in time, and I wanted to have him on tonight to talk about it as well. But he hasn't seen it, and the fact that even Wesley, of all people, is has still not seen Babylon is kind of a testament to like, damn, this movie's kind of a deep cut. You kind of have to really like want to put yourself in a three hour and nine minute movie about old Hollywood for, for you to get any enjoyment out of it. I will say this too, is that it is, it's too long. I think it's too long. Um, there, there are definitely some moments where like three hours, especially like when a movie like avatar just came out, like I just sat through a three hour movie, you know? Yeah, and now you're asking me to sit through another three hour movie. <laughs> valid, like they have nothing to point. do with each other. They they have nothing to do with each other. They're both complete different movies. I mean, they they we'll talk about it later. Oh, <laughs> they 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 maybe have something to do with each other. <laughs> but um, like I mean, three hours. That that's I think that like to someone who doesn't watch a lot of movies, like to recommend it to someone that doesn't watch a lot of movies. It's Three hours is a tough sell, I think. Extremely you know? tough sell. Yeah. I, yeah. And I do think that when I'm talking about this movie to people, it's not the old Hollywood of it all that scares people away. It's not the constant partying and constant coke use. It's it's the three it's hour, the nine minute runtime that scares everyone away. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know. And trust me, like, like sometimes I feel like people will say like, oh, if you're checking your phone during a movie, then you're not enjoying it. But no, I'm I'm just like checking in. <laughs> like I I did check my phone a couple times, mostly because like, you know, I'm like fuck, it's getting late. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you're like I gotta get home. Yeah, like when's this movie gonna end? But like mostly because like I I gotta get to bed, but not because it was bad. But you know, it's it's just it's takes you on a ride. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite a commitment. Yeah, I, I guess while we're on, like this is a good kind of segue into like one of the other points I wanted to ask you, which was like. Um, this movie sadly bombed at the box office, like pretty hard mm-hmm. too. I think it was a hundred million dollar budget to make this movie. And I think it made 15 million. Um, that sucks. That's really bad. You know, like that's not, it's yeah. not good at all. Um, even with two of the biggest movie stars in the world kind of leading in at the forefront of all the marketing for this movie. And it still wasn't really enough to put people in seats. So I guess 
this does kind of tie into what you had just said, but do you think it was because everybody was more focused on seeing Avatar um, because audiences really just don't want to see a three hour and nine minute movie about Hollywood in theaters? Uh, or do you think it might be something else that played a part in that? No, absolutely. I mean, like, I feel like that's the, the name of the, I think the official title of like box office movies and like theater numbers and all that stuff is like the theater exhibition business. I feel like the, the whole game of it is like, dude, if you put a movie next to a huge blockbuster, then your movie's kind of fucked. And that that's like the sad part of movie going these days. And I think that's why a lot of people are kind of like, uh, like, oh, like Marvel's movie, like ruining cinema is because like everyone wants to see the Marvel movie or everyone wants to see the Avatar movie. So you can't put out your movie next to these movies because no one's going to see it. You know, yeah. and then like I, I get that argument. You know what I mean? It's like these smaller movies. Like if if you put it next to either of them, you they're not going to stand a chance, <laughs> right? Because like general general audiences and general interests, just I don't think it's there for a movie like Babylon. You know, I agree. I feel like you have to, I feel like you have to put these movies out like like I mean there there there's a lot of uh, like terms like uh, like putting out movies between like january and march like people refer to january as like dumpuary right yeah. yeah or they refer to february as dumpuary because like the movies that get released within that window is typically like they're not the best um but like if it were me and i had a movie like babylon i would have put it out like within that window just so that i could get some eyes on it you know yeah. what i'm saying mm-hmm. um so yeah, no, like Avatar and this movie being so close to each other, I don't think it stood a chance. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'll, I'm saying? Yeah, I'll, I'll completely agree. I think that Avatar 2, coming out when it did, just destroyed the chances of Babylon having really any success at all. Um, it and they're both three-hour movies. Right, you know? exactly. Like, people building, <laughs> people building themselves up for a three-hour movie in theaters, <sighs> it's not like as simple for some people as like, I'm going to go watch a new movie in theaters. Some people like really have to like, Holy shit, this movie's three hours. I need to like prime myself for this. And a lot of people came out of avatar. Like that's a long ass movie. I don't really want to see another three hour and nine minute movie. Um, dude, I barely want it about Hollywood. I, yeah, no, I barely wanted to see avatar again. Like I don't want, I honestly, I've only seen avatar once. I don't want to see it again until it comes to streaming. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. I don't, know if i want to watch it on streaming i think it would yeah. really i think it would really affect how i how i viewed the the spectacle and the scale of that movie i think the only way that i would want to see it is in theaters but that's um that's neither here nor there i do think that you're right though i think that it is about the fact that a lot of people were just exhausted after seeing a very long movie and they didn't they weren't feeling compelled even with Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie to come watch a 3 hour and 9 minute movie rated r all the reviews for it were kind of mixed anyways. And I think that this is another thing too, that it's like, if you're going to make a three hour and nine minute movie, people want to see like 85 to 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. They don't want to like go watch a three hour movie that it's like mid, you know, like that's kind of yeah. a, people just don't feel drawn to do that. So I think that Babylon's box office has entirely to do with when they chose to release it. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I hope more eyes will end up on it when it releases at home, but we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, it'll probably come out on Paramount Plus, but I think this is like a good like at-home viewing, you know? Mhm. 
Um, yeah. Well, something I wanted to ask in regards to the movie being um, too long, which I do agree the movie is, is a touch too long, but does it, does it feel like a three-hour movie to you? Where, like, was there any moments where you're like, I'm kind of bored, this movie's dragging, um, this, is, this is starting to feel too long? Like, or like it, it's one thing for the movie to be too long, but is it, it's another thing for it to feel too long. Like, while, you were sit, while you were seated watching it, did you have any feelings of like, damn, I kind of want to leave? Okay, so yes and no. And so here, here's what I mean by that. So like after the party sequence happened and they, they all went to set the next day to start filming the movies, I thought it started to drag a little too long there. Like when, like the day on set um, felt like it was dragging too long. And I was like, okay, this this is probably where I was checking my phone the most. Um, but then like when when filming wrapped up and then we saw the finished product and they started like being happy that the day was over. Like once Diego Calva's character or Manny got the camera and they had got like all the shots they needed and seeing it all come together, I feel like the wait was worth like leading up to the end of that day. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Absolutely. So that, I think that was the only part where I was like, okay, this is going on a little too long. And then, um, but the, the way that the day ended on set felt satisfying enough to me to where I was like, yeah, no, like at the end of the day, like after watching, I'm like, yeah, it could have been cut short to lead to this final, you know, final product or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, so, but, but what about you? Did you, uh, any moments? There was no moment where I was bored or ever wanted to like leave the theater ever like wishing the movie would end. But there was moments where I was like, we're spending a lot of time on this particular thing. And that's kind of a a constant throughout the movie. And I guess when you're watching this movie, you kind of just have to like the same thing that people will say towards something like avatar. You kind of have to be willing to just kind of give yourself over to it and just like not be thinking about all that stuff and just kind of like strap in and just enjoy the movie for what it is. But admittedly there were times throughout the runtime where I was like, I can see some of the criticisms towards that, towards that length. Um, I don't think there's anything that, could have been straight up cut from the movie. I think all of the plot, little plot things they do and all the little vignettes they do of, of Hollywood is incredibly effective, but I think they just spend a long time on a lot of things that they could, you could cut some of the, the, the runtime on pr- particular things while still keeping that thing in the movie. If that makes any sense. Right. No, it, it absolutely does. Like uh, another scene came to mind where um, it's like where Margot Robbie is like back like Manny had brought her into like he she's he's trying to bring her to like like he's trying to establish like a comeback for what what's her what's her character's name? Uh Nelly. Nelly? Yeah, no. He's trying to establish a comeback and then she's like at this party, like and she has to like try to act all fancy and stuff. I think this is like towards the third act of the movie or like towards the end. Mm-hmm. But um I thought this is like one scene in particular where I was like, yeah, we could probably like shave this down a little or even like the, like the scene that where I felt like that my anxiety was like pretty high, but I'm almost like, did this need to be here? Was uh like where they drove out to the desert to fight a snake. Right. And I'm like, right. um, I don't know guys. Like the, the movie's crazy enough. Like you don't need to keep throwing crazy at me, you yeah. know? So I think honestly, I think that all that could have been cut from the film. I can yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, so 
and that sequence was like 20 minutes long. <laughs> you know? Right. There's a lot of like things in this movie that just go for like 15, 20 minutes. And it's just like, yeah. I guess that does tie into something I wanted to ask, which is like Babylon doesn't really have one big overarching narrative. It kind of has a bunch of little vignettes of like characters at different times in their life and different times in their career. Do you, do you feel like the lack of some grand cohesive narrative is like effective for this movie? Or how did you feel about the, the kind of lack of a, a driving plot? I think it does work mostly because like, I mean, the, 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 like the synopsis or whatever is like, um, the transition from silent films to talkies. And so it's just like the movie is pretty much just about, it's almost like multiple days in the life of like actors trying to move from one art form to the other, you know, or trying to adjust from one art form to the other. Um, but I would also say that there is like it's not like a like a fully realized narrative i mean it kind of is towards the end but at the heart of the story it's kind of about manny and nelly right because like you know they meet each other at at the party at the beginning and then they both kind of go their separate ways but they always come back to each other in in some way shape or form you know Mm -hmm. just to like kind of catch up with where they are um, I do wish the movie leaned a little more into that, and um, I feel like it would have made it a little stronger, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I can agree with that. I, I think, for me, I wasn't bothered at all by the um, kind of lack of a driving plot. I think that the choice to center it around Hollywood as a whole and make Hollywood a character with all these other characters kind of responding to that, I thought was actually why I loved the movie so much, just to kind of get thrust into these crazy little scenarios of like the industry in in the 1920s um was constantly compelling to me and i think that was actually maybe one of the things that i loved the most about it was like you're watching brad pitt go to set and you're watching margot robbie go to set and then diego calva's character is like he's a producer and he's trying to pull the strings there and i think the way that you kind of just progress through these little parts of their career rather than through some big plot device was was pretty effective for me yeah yeah do you have um was there any character I guess you kind of just said with with Manny and uh and Nelly but was there any characters or performances in this movie that like worked more for you than other ones might have Cuz for me like a good example um I I loved Manny and Nelly as characters but I also felt like um Joven Adipo as Sidney Sidney Palmer I found his performance to be particularly moving and really accesses a side of like the negativity of the industry and um really just what a person of color will go through in this industry at this time. And I thought that his character was, was particularly effective at accessing that kind of vision, even if he is kind of just a supporting character who doesn't serve too much of a purpose to the narrative. I find he, he does get some of the most human moments in the story and some of the moments that step the most away from the, the filth of Hollywood at this time, which I found to be really interesting. I do kind of wish he had a little bit more screen time, but I, I loved that character. But I guess to like to wrap it back around, um, what characters worked the most for you while watching Babylon? Um, yeah, no, I I think I opened it up saying like how I uh, really loved um, Diego Calvin, Margaret Robbie, but I like I feel like um, I heard this on another podcast, and I can't help but agree with it. But uh, I might have heard it on the big picture, honestly. But uh, sometimes I feel that Brad Pitt was like like he wasn't the first choice for this 
if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like they probably wanted, like, like a Leo type for this role. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, But even, like, with that to say, it's like, I don't think Brad Pitt was necessarily bad in this movie, but I feel like a lot of his performance is kind of like, kind of whatever, up until that one scene where Gene Smart is kind of telling him he's washed up, you know? Um, and I don't know if you wanted to talk about that scene real quick, but no, yeah, let's let, we can talk about it. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so here's the thing about like, uh, this scene in particular. And I, I feel like I kind of felt this even with, uh, with Top Gun Maverick is that like Brad Pitt, I feel like he like got drawn to this movie because it's one of those where he honestly like feels like he's actually at the tail end of his career. and um it's kind of like a reflection on like where he's been, you know? And, uh, it's like, he even got that producer, the guy from the social network, I forget his name. Um, but he's like, Oh, like, you know, I want you to be in my movie. But, uh, he asked like, Oh, well it's a dud, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, it's a dud, but like, I I need you to be in it to kind of like bail me out like financially, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Because like, Honestly, I feel like sometimes there are a lot of movies that come out these days where the movie's not great, but it has a star attached to it. So, like, to me, I was like, like, is this, like, like, does Hollywood actually do this? Like, you know, they take, like, the the most poppin' actors, um, like, they're they're popular and stuff, and they know that, like, it will get people in the seats because this person is in this movie. You know, even though the movie's not great. <laughs> right. So, yeah, there are, there are those, like, little moments with Brad Pitt, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I thought he was he was fine for this. <laughs> I, I will say that I feel like Brad Pitt's character works a lot more in the third act than he does in the first two acts of the movie. Um, yeah. Whenever Brad Pitt's on screen, I'm, like, I'm going to be entertained. The scene where he's... You know, like going back to when they're all on set making movies and it's Margot Robbie character first day. Um, Brad Pitt is like super hungover and like he's like an absolute mess. He's like nearly throwing up and he's like he's just suffering. And the scene where he kind of pulls it all together last moment to get that kiss in front of the sunset and he, he nails the moment. Um, and the thought, war is going on in the background. <laughs> right. I thought that that scene was incredibly effective. And there are moments throughout this movie where I found Brad Pitt to be very effective. But I will go back to what you said about yeah, maybe it feels like he wasn't their first choice. And so when you're watching the movie, Brad Pitt is Brad Pitt. He's going to be endlessly charming. You're going to really buckle in for whatever he's doing because it's Brad Pitt. But this movie's trying to get at something a little bit deeper with the character of Jack Conrad. And it just feels like at times Brad Pitt's pure charisma isn't really able to hold up underneath what they're trying to make his character do at times. Mm-hmm. But that's just, it's such a minor criticism, but... Brad Pitt's character did really work for me, especially when you come full circle with, with his character arc in the, in the back half of the movie. Um, and so like, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that scene actually, um, where he, he has this conversation with Gene Smart, who is like this journalist. Um, and she writes about all these celebrities and everything like that. And essentially he goes and he has a sit down with her after she writes an article that says, is Jack, Jack Conrad through essentially applying his careers over. And this scene I found to be incredibly well-written, incredibly captivating, and it kind of explores the idea of, like, you'll live forever through the art you make. 
Like he's his career may be over, his time in the spotlight may be done, but fifty, sixty to a hundred years from now, people will still be thinking about what he did and the movies he was in and feeling some impact by him. Um, what do you kind of like, I guess what I'm saying is like, what did you make of bringing that theme into the movie? Like kind of so late into play, was it like effective for you? I, I'll, I'll just say yes. Mostly because like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure that I took the scene like that. Mostly because like, like, yeah, the, the artist will eventually like outlive or no, what what they did as an artist will outlive like the person itself. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I I think they articulated it well, but it was just a tough scene to watch, just because like, like a critic is directly talking to <laughs> who they're talking shit about. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a good point. And I guess like to better uh, articulate what I'm what I'm trying to ask too is like this movie has like so many themes on the go. It's trying to say like so many different things about so many things. And then kind of in the back half out of nowhere, it just busts out this like really well-written conversation about like life after death. And I just was like, damn, this is just another theme that Damien Chazelle is trying to bring into, bring into play. So I guess was I, what I was asking is like, did you feel it kind of overstuffs the narrative in regards to like what he's trying to say? I'll say yes, mostly because like, it's, it's just trying to, I feel like the movie already does a lot. Like it, it just kind of seems like out of nowhere, I guess, mostly because yeah. like it's already overloading you with like like crazy like visuals and a crazy party and everything and all all that already. And mm-hmm. like, you know, the transition period from talkies to or silent films to talkies. So it's almost like like where did this come from? You know? Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. I had like a even though that that scene lands so so powerfully for me, I was just kinda like Damn, I'm I'm a little bit like stuck on the fact that you're just I'm a little floored. So, yeah, you're bringing in so many ideas, and I guess that's kind of like the big um, criticism towards Babylon is like the fact that it's it's stuffing so much in while trying to make like a commentary about like Hollywood overstuffing things, while it's also like it's like look at this excess and look at how like over the top and how much nonsense these these people will have. And then he's also kind of doing the same thing in his narrative. And that's kind of been like a huge criticism for it. So I guess I was just, yeah, I was just curious of if you feel like um, the Brad Pitt character is like, like complicates that. Yeah, no, you you got me on that one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. Here's one thing I wanted to bring up. Um, What are some of like the standout moments for you in this movie? Like either like between like spectacle or just like moments that left you like laughing your ass off. Just like what, moments were the most effectively crazy for you um one that we haven't mentioned yet is uh the oh i'm here at college scene <laughs> yeah holy shit. is that what scene. she says yeah um like oh here's college or something like that but that one definitely stuck out i mean it was always funny and um like sometimes you think they have the shot, but then something really small, something really random goes on, and then they're like, "Fuck!" <laughs> like, that scene like the is produ- just so manic, yeah, yeah. And I feel like, like they weren't even, they didn't even have that many takes. Like they, they maybe did like by the end of it, they probably did like ten takes of of this scene. But I feel like making movies these days, there are way more than ten takes. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
um he's like fuck she didn't hit her mark can you tell her to hit her mark and then there was that dude that was in like the the camera little box thing that fucking died i'm like holy fuck but i guess it it was just a tough transition for him you know and uh but no this scene was probably like definitely a highlight for me and definitely probably one of the funnier moments of the film and then you just can't help but like cheer with everybody once they actually get the shot. Right. You know, yeah. you go like, through so much pain with them trying to get that shot that when you, when they actually get it, you're like effectively like cheering with them. Yeah. And, uh, like all throughout, like between like takes, like, I don't know, like I'm gonna just assume like between takes like four and seven, they fucking hate each other's guts because they can't get the shot. But once they get it, it's like, yeah, let's go. They're like, Oh yeah, no, yeah. it's just so funny. That that scene is one of my favorite parts of the movie too. I have to shout out PJ Burns' performance. He's such a small character in this movie, but he's he's pretty much the assistant director, and he's losing his fucking mind. Like he's like, <laughs> he's like screaming, and like there's like somebody comes in through one of the doors and it fucks the shot up, and he turns. He's like, "If you come in through that door again, I'll fucking kill you!" And then like he, he turns over. It's the head of the studio. Um, I just thought that, like, he's an actor that I, I'm not too familiar with, but I was like, dude, this guy is, like, this is his big moment. He's firing on all cylinders here. You know, the, this guy's ridiculous, and he, he looks, like, he's straight up, like, he fits the bill for, like, a, a Hollywood producer or director, yeah, you know? he absolutely does, yeah. Um, Like, he, he's in, uh, he, I think he's in uh, The Boys for a little bit, and then uh, he's in something else. But yeah, no, he, he, yeah, he's great. I wish I knew who he was on the boys, but yeah, I, uh, I had so much fun watching him in this movie. Just completely reach his breaking point. He's just like, so ready to kill everyone. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. I also, no, it... uh, I had, I had to shout out this, the scene as well. Um, and it's not really a scene. It's more so just like a, a segment of the movie. Uh, and we kind of have mentioned it briefly, but I do want to just discuss it at a little bit more of a length. Like the opening party is, um, it's just some of the most fast moving, like energetic filmmaking I've watched in a while. And I think that like people can have all their faults with the movie, but I I just don't know how people don't walk away from that scene. Like, holy shit, this is, this is so much fun. Yeah, no, it's a blast. And, uh, like there, there are moments of it where it's just like all one shot, just panning throughout the entire party. And I'm just like, it's just damn impressive. You know, yeah, the set design. And, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it, it kind of, like, fully sets the tone for what the rest of the thing is going to be. Because, like, yeah, it's a party, but, like, you know, this is where you get introduced to Manny. Um, and, like, the, the manic vibes that Manny goes through to kind of make sure everything works and, you know, everything pans out well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, the opening I... party scene is, is ridiculous. Uh, I, I don't know if, I mean, I guess it's the twenties and, uh, maybe parties were like this, but I'll tell you now, like there are no LA parties like this. <laughs> I was, was going to ask, I was like, yo, you ever, you ever been to a party like this? I need to come to LA if this is what the parties are like. <laughs> I mean, maybe there are, but like, I mean, I I wouldn't put it past like, like there's some like ridiculous LA party like this, but for the most part, the ones that I've been to are not like, like, I don't want to skip ahead, but, um, another scene that's in this movie is where they finally meet Toby McGuire. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have a, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> what did, did were you were you gonna lead into this one? I do. I have, yeah, I have quite a bit of stuff about that. Just because. Okay, it's, we it's so we'll wait till weird. we get to it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, uh, the, this opening party sequence was was insane. I mean, partying till about like five in the morning. Yeah, no, that yeah, people party that late. Yeah. Um, and go to set the next day. Yeah, I could see that happening. <laughs> two, two hours of sleep, and it's just like, all right, you have to. It's your first day on the job, starting tomorrow. Yep. Yep. Absolutely wild. You know, I think this movie does an effective thing though, where it's just like off the bat, you'll know if it's for you. If you like freak the fuck out when an elephant shits all over a dude. Um, yeah. And if you're willing to stay in the seat after that happens, then this might be a movie for you. And if not, then, you know, maybe not. Dude, I'll be honest with you. Like my theater, like the movie had already been out for weeks and, um, my theater was, you know, it wasn't packed, but there were definitely people in there. Um, and everyone was just reacting like to everything, you know, it, it was quite a, it was a solid theater experience. Like everyone was like, Oh, that's gross. But no one left, you know? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> they, it, it felt like everyone in the theater when I saw it was there for the ride. So yeah. For me, when I saw both the Fablemans and Babylon, uh, funny enough, both movies about making movies, um, completely the craziest dead. The only double feature. Theater. Yeah, it is the craziest double feature. <laughs> really is. On one end, you have a story about family and how that leads Spielberg to making movies, and then the other one, you have like Damien Chazelle just being like, "Coke, just cocaine. That's that's all it was. <laughs> that's all movie making is. It's just cocaine. <laughs> it's like if you can snort a line of coke, you can direct a movie." <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Let's let's talk about. Let's just skip forward because I don't know. There's just like really, there's no crazy driving plot. You pretty much just watch these characters get famous and then proceed to fuck their lives up for a couple hours. Um, so like Toby Maguire is part of this movie. Um, by the time Toby Maguire shows up in this movie, I had completely forgot that Toby Maguire was going to be in the movie. Same here. Same and I here. think that, I think that happened to a lot of people. Like there's videos of him showing up with like bottles of champagne. And I'm like, damn dude, you don't show up until like two hours and 30 minutes into the movie. Like that, that's so crazy. Um, yeah, no, for me, like, for one, I was, I'm, like, Toby Maguire is an executive producer on this movie, and, um, like, I knew all of that going into the movie. I was like, yeah, Toby Maguire, executive produced, Toby Maguire is in this movie, but up until we got his scene, I was like, like, when he came up, I was like, oh, yeah, he is in this movie. Right, <laughs> <You know>? right. <laughs> it's like, I completely forgot. I was, Yeah. And, and he then shows where up. it goes from there is wild. Yeah, he shows up looking paler than ever. Uh, he's just absolutely strung out. He's like playing this really manic character. He's essentially just a drug lord who wants to get into Hollywood. He has like all these ideas for, for screenplays. Um, not very good ideas at that, I'll say. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, try- he wants to meet up with these producers because he really wants them to, to buy his idea. So anyways, the reason they end up meeting with him is because of the fact that Margot Robbie's character Nellie owes a bunch of money for drugs and so Manny is trying to help her out of the situation um, and they end up giving Tobey Maguire's character unbeknownst to Manny a bag of fake Hollywood set money um, and so like immediately the scene is super tense because you're kind of waiting for Tobey Maguire's character to find out about the money and he's this loose cannon and you're like holy shit the second he finds out about this money it's going to go absolutely sideways that's not the direction the movie goes in, actually. So he takes them into 
but it's essentially like the underbelly of LA. He's like, this is a crazy party. You need to see it. Um, they think they're going to get killed, but they end up getting forced to go with them. And you kind of just literally descend into LA hell. Like it starts off and it's like a fighting ring. And then it's like a bunch of like, um, you know, a bunch of people in like gimp suits having sex. And it's like, it just gets gradually crazier until there's like alligators chained up everywhere. And then dude, I jumped so hard at the alligator. Oh my God. That alligator jump scare was pretty effective. Yeah. But, uh, so like he takes them deeper and deeper into kind of the worst part of LA. And it's just like Damien Chazelle is like basically begging you to be like, look, it's hell. Do you get it? Uh, it's hell. <laughs> and uh, what did you think of like this kind of descent into like Los Angeles hell? Okay. So let me, let me tell you this. Uh, yeah. As there, an LA resident, as an LA resident, um, there are definitely parties in LA where it's very sketchy and it's like after hours type parties, which, which is what this felt like. It felt like an after hours LA party, like, and no one really knows about it. But, um, I thought that it was pretty funny that like, it's covered by like, like the entrance is covered by a big black tarp and, um, in real life, like some of these sketchy LA parties are actually covered by big black tarps, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but like for me, like the couple that I've been to, like there's no, like people aren't eating mice at them. It's just like the only thing that's about these parties is that like it's just insanely late and they're like, I guess a little illegal. <laughs> Right, right. But um, Question, questionable activities going on. Yeah. Uh, but no, this was. Um, it almost felt like a different movie. It's almost like okay, can Damien Chazelle maybe direct a horror movie? Like just do something that felt as like tense and scary as this, but for like two hours. You know, right. I feel like that'd be great. Um. But no, like I, I thought it was. Uh, yeah, no, it was one of those where I think maybe it could have been a little shorter. Um, it goes to on a trim bit, down yeah. the runtime. Yeah, it's like, like some of this stuff is just I don't know. It it, it was ridiculous to look at, but uh, like the the anxiety was there. You know, yeah. it kept. Yeah. It was like one of those scenes where it's like okay, or sequences where it keeps you on the edge of your seat. So I think it worked for the most part. Yeah, but I'm like, it didn't need to be this long. You know? You're really just like yeah, you're descending through those tunnels for like ten minutes straight before you even get to the rat eating dude, and then it's like, yeah, damn, we're spending a lot of time here. Yeah, it's like you know you could have gone like maybe like a couple levels less and then started the shoot off where he has to run away. You yeah. know, I uh, I was reminded while watching this scene of um the scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where Brad Pitt's character ends up going to the Manson farm, and it's kind of like this brief breakaway from the main plot or like the main movie to just be like a horror movie for like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I just was reminded of that while watching it. I was like, it's both Damien and Chazelle uh, and Quentin Tarantino trying to be like, look, we can do horror as well. Just kind of like throw it in the middle of their Hollywood movie. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, man. Yeah, you're gonna, yeah that's a good point. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta make it out to one of these parties for real. Oh yeah. No, I'm not trying to see uh crocodiles or alligators in, in the depths of LA. I don't know. I might be able to pass on that. (laughs) I think that's probably valid. I probably would. I'd probably make the same choice. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, okay. So, like, I, it may seem, too, like I'm being, like, a little bit harsh on this movie, but, like, admittedly, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. I really did love it. I'm just playing a little bit more of, like, middle ground on this on this movie because so many people have had divisive reactions to it, and so it feels only fair to bring up all these genuine criticisms that everybody has has brought up about the movie but oh yeah it's 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 in my top 10 for sure yeah i think i have it at like number seven yeah i think like just to to wrap up on toby Maguire, like it's fun to see him play a role like that like i've really never seen toby play like such like a, a creepy weaselly weirdo and it was it was just really interesting yeah well, like wasn't he supposed to, like, wasn't his character supposed to be, like, related to, like, Charlie Chaplin or some shit? I yeah, feel like I read I that heard somewhere. something. I heard something about that. He's like, <laughs> I was like, okay, sure, we'll let you have yeah, that. Yeah, I'm if, like, if you... okay, yeah. Well, Easter egg, I guess. <laughs> it's, not, it's not, like, said in the movie, I don't think, but Damien Chazelle probably was just like, this is for me. That's Charlie Chaplin's cousin. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But I guess, like, one thing that I wanted to bring up... um, it's, it's Justin Hurwitz's score. I wanted to get your thoughts on on the score for this movie a little bit because it just like you as you had mentioned earlier, it just won best score at the Golden Globes, and it uh, Justin Hurwitz is the guy who also made the score for La La Land, which is a fantastic score, and for Whiplash. Um, so, what did you make of of the soundtrack for this movie? I mean, it it perfectly fits the tone of the movie, perfectly fits the time, like all the use of the trumpets and everything like that is is perfect. Yeah. Um. It definitely fits all the party scenes and uh it gets grand and epic what it needs to. And um and yeah, no, it, it's it's great. It's just like like I I think my favorite is towards like like the ending. I, I love it when it's over the ending because it still has that like twenties sound and feel, but it's just going through this compilation of movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um but no, it, I, to me, it's just like, it's very 20s party, and I think it, it was like perfectly composed for it, you know? I agree, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's it's great. I love On, it. I, I love the score for this movie, because on one hand, it's just like fantastic jazz music. Like, really, mm-hmm. like it, it works on its own without any connection to the fact that it's a movie soundtrack. Um, but the, it, I feel like those are the best scores, too. It's just like, you don't really even have to watch the movie to appreciate the music of it you know mm-hmm. yeah like you just listen to it on your own time and it's just like yeah no this is just great party music i guess yeah you know? i got like three scores in rotation right now it's got everything everywhere all at once babylon and god of war ragnarok are just like the three mm. scores that are just like they're just living in my head rent free right now nice nice love it but i think the one that you were mentioning mentioning the specific song is um the one finale i think is, is what it's called yeah yeah, it's yeah. my favorite. It's my favorite from the soundtrack as well. It's awesome. I think that song too is uh it kind of fits the overall like story of the of the film itself, mostly because like it it kind of starts off a little mellow, but then like towards the middle of the song, like there's just a bunch of loud drums and it it almost sounds like like incoherent, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it tr- completely transitions to a different song it's kind of like you know the transition from talkies to or transition from silent films to talkies yeah um yeah no i yeah no i completely i completely agree i i think that's a good point i uh i guess one thing i wanted to bring up too was just like this movie is is being so heavily sold on on the excess of it all right like that's one thing that you hear a lot like debauchery is a word i hear associated with this movie a lot 
Um, do you feel like this movie was too heavily sold on how filthy and like kind of vile it is? And do you think that like maybe like negatively affected people's response to it? Because for me, I was kind of like really interested in seeing Babylon because of how much I was hearing about like this movie's fucking disgusting. You'll throw up and then you'll leave the theater. And like I was just like, all right, I'm in. This sounds like a like an experience. But I, I was wondering, like, do you think that it lives up to how crazy it's being pitched as, or do you think that it's a, or do you think that's a negative to it? No, I think the debauchery and all that stuff, it definitely, um, it's, it's the only way to really put the movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, mostly because like, like we had mentioned earlier, uh, there isn't really that like center narrative or plot. It's, it's just like the craziness of movie making. It's like multiple days in the life of crazy movie making, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if there's, there's any way, any other way that I would really describe it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but, but what about you? I think like, you know, inevitably when you talk about a movie with like, Oh, you have to see it. It's so fucking disgusting. Um, people are going to get like their expectations in a certain place about it. But I, I do think like Babylon like appropriately lives up to like how kind of nasty everybody's pitching it as like, it's like, it's constantly swearing. It's, it's constant drug use. It's, you know, and I've already said this, but it's like, it's like you had just mentioned, there's really no other word other than like debauchery and just kind of like pure fucking chaos in the 1920s. Um, there's like this whole narrative that like everybody parties so hard these days, but I'm like, damn, if this is how they were partying in the 1920s, then damn, we, they, they have us beat. They have us beat. We, we may have nightclubs, but they have elephants and orgies, you know, like it's, it's crazy. Um, I thought that the, the insanity and kind of the, the gross out factor of it was, was pretty effective, but I could, I could imagine for some that it might kind of drive you away from the plot. But to be honest with you, I think the grossest parts of it were just the elephant shit and the dude getting pissed on, and I don't remember anything else. Oh yeah, that was crazy. I forgot that was that was mad out of pocket. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything else that's super gross about the movie. Um, so I I actually would say that's a little bit of an over like exaggeration. Because mm-hmm. um, everything else, it's like. Like, no one else gets shit on or pissed on throughout the movie. Everyone else is just doing drugs or, like, just getting yeah. fucked up, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that is kind of exactly what I was trying to ask. It's just, like, most of our core characters are just, like, throwing up and, and or snorting lines. So it's, like... Snorting it's, lines or they're hungover, you know? <laughs> right, and it's all the other kind of side characters who are having all this craziness happen to them. So I, I do think that there might have been, like, a, a little bit of an oversell for some people on, like elephants are shitting on everyone it's so gross and i just like yeah it is effectively pretty gross when it wants to be but i just don't think that's the whole narrative of the movie yeah okay mice getting eaten is pretty disgusting but like oh man it's like every time i'm like yeah it's not that gross i start thinking about it i'm like oh shit it's it's pretty nasty yeah um so what i loved about this movie most is like kind of just and we'll get into the ending in a minute here uh is it kind of begs the question of just like, was any of this like pain and chaos that everybody's endured? Like, was any of it worth it for this art? And it's almost like Damien Chazelle is just like, look at how much wonder we've achieved, but look at what this machine does to people in the process of like getting to that glory. Um, 
And so it kind of just struck me as like, and this is not like an original, um, original thought. I've heard multiple people say this, but I thought it while watching it. And I was just like, this is like for everybody talking about this as a love letter to Hollywood. I would agree. I would say it's Damien Chazelle being like, look, movies, look at how wonderful movies are. But it's also him like flipping off Hollywood. Like he's, it's almost like a love letter to movies and like a fuck you to like LA and to, to Hollywood. Did it kind of read the same way for you? So are are you saying that like, like when he does the movie compilation, you're 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 saying that like that's what he has in mind is like, mm-hmm. yeah, like when he starts showing like shots of like, are are we good to talk about the ending? <laughs> okay, here I'll uh I'll set it up a little bit because I I did just want to like pitch the ending a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah, Nelly gets into debt with gangsters. Jack Conrad, Brad Pitt's character, um, ends up killing himself because of the fact that he his stardom has faded and he doesn't feel his life has much value to offer anymore in that moment. Um, and then things go to shit just for everybody, even, even Manny. Uh, and we cut to 1951 and Manny has moved away from Hollywood and it's revealed that Nelly has died of an overdose in a hotel room. Uh, and he's visiting LA with his family and they end up at the Kinoscope uh, studio entrance. And he talks with the, which is Paramount studios. It's Paramount. Yeah. That's what I thought it was. That, that's the entrance to Paramount. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and he chats with the security guard before his family ends up going back to the hotel that they're staying at. And then he walks around and he ends up at a movie theater to watch a showing of Singing in the Rain. Um, <laughs> dude, I'm almost laughing just talking about it. He's watching the movie and then out of nowhere, a montage of the history of cinema just kind of begins to play with like this high speed kind of fucking frantic score that we had just mentioned. Uh, and it shows everything from a trip to the moon to some Chaplin films to Wizard of Oz to the Matrix, <laughs> to Avatar. Um, and then it ends on Manny's face back in the theater smiling. What the fuck? Joe, what did you what did you think of this ending, man? Okay, so I had heard whispers of the ending before I saw the movie. Not not about like what happened in the movie. Like I was it wasn't spoiled for me. But a lot of people were just talking about like, oh my god, the ending to Babylon is like e- either people loved it or people hated it. I think mostly like people hated it. Yeah. Um, but no, this ending was was ridiculous because like I I thought it was interesting that you said how like you know this is Damien Chazelle's like fuck you to Hollywood. Um, but I was thinking like because I had asked people about it and I was like, okay, like here's the ending to Babylon. Do you think like, this is Damien Chazelle saying that like, look at where movies were and now look how it's like all fucked now, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, to me, I thought like it it was like on the other end of the spectrum, it was like, Oh, look how far movies have come. And here's some of my favorite movies. <laughs> you know? right, right. So he was just like extremely positive about it. But you think it was more along the lines of like, like, Oh, like Hollywood is fucked now. Well, what I interpreted from it is it's kind of just like the whole movie for me, like there's a lot of themes in this and like you can go on like the Wikipedia page if you're interested in it. And that's why I kind of brought up like the, the added themes of Brad Pitt and like art living forever. But like one of the big themes I was struck by, like while watching the one that actually like I kind of noticed while watching it is just like the idea of how Hollywood creates wonder. But in order to create that wonder, you will get chewed up and spit out. And that's kind of what essentially happens to Manny is he plays such a big part in so much of the important part of the industry. And yet, 
nothing matters. Like by the time he leaves it, nobody really cares about his name and everybody he was friends with has, has died because of so much of the way that Hollywood kind of eats you up and spits you out. And so I was mm. kind of, I, I was thinking while watching this ending that it's Damien Chazelle essentially being like, is any of this worth it? You know, like Manny is sitting there thinking about everything that he and his friends have been through and he's relating it to singing in the rain. And then we proceed to see, everything that we will see going forward. And it just felt a little bit like a celebration of movies while Damien Chazelle was kind of simultaneously like, but like, look at what this shit does to people, you know, like look at like how this industry is disgusting and full of terrible people and kind of eats you up and then throws you to the side. But also cinema uh, is kind of how I interpreted the ending. So I don't know. It's such a big swing, but I was curious of your thoughts on it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I kind of just wanted to look at it from, like, the more, like, like, look how far we've come in movies. And yeah. here are some of my favorite movies. <laughs> and and I, I do think that it's possible that that's what he's getting at. I think maybe it's easy to, like, overread it because it's such a ridiculous ending. Um, but no, I mean, like, you're you're totally right. Like, uh, Like, I don't think people that are watching Avatar are, like, thinking, like, oh, like... I I loved like so many silent films back in the day. Look how far <laughs> technology has come. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I was personally the first thing I thought while watching The Way of Water was, "Damn, Charlie Chaplin would have been proud." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but no, you're totally right. It's like, I don't think anybody is like thinking about any of the older stuff. And all, all like everything that people went through to make the older stuff. Yeah, no, you're, yeah, down. No, it's it's, it's an interesting ending, and it's just it's such a big swing that it just can kind of lead you to so many different places. But like, um, it to me, I guess to sum it up into one sentence, it's almost just like look at what all the sufferings paved the way for. You know, like kind of look at what what's going to happen because of everything that we put into this. It's kind of, um what I was reading from it. And I, what I like is like Damien Chazelle is kind of just like completely ambivalent to it. Like he's just like, he's not like it's bad and he's not like, it's good. He's just kind of like, eh, I like movies. And I, I found that to be such an interesting <laughs> approach to such a, like a ridiculous ending. Um, I'm willing to bet that 75% of viewers are going to walk away from this ending. Just like absolutely not. Like that was ridiculous. And from the reactions I've heard from people in my life and from what you were saying about like reactions that you've heard, like, this this ending just doesn't seem to be working for anyone. I was kind of like completely disassociated at that point, and I was just like, "Yeah, it's it's Avatar. Look, um, fuck yeah, movies, fuck yeah, <laughs> cinema." And honestly, like, if if that's gonna work on anyone, it's gonna work on me. I'm completely like susceptible to that type of shit. But I don't know. Uh, most people are walking away from this ending, uh, saying it was not it. Did you like the ending? I guess like to to simplify it. I just thought it was funny. Yeah, no, I I laughed at it, and like I was like, "What are what are the odds that we get a clip of Avatar in Babylon at the same time that the Avatar <laughs> sequel is in theaters?" And what are the like, odds? What the fuck is happening right now? Yeah, and what you are know? the odds that Babylon ends with Avatar on its screen while the movie flops at the box office because of Avatar? <laughs> like it's like, <laughs> damn. Okay, Cinema. so the. The the ending, yes, you could have taken this compilation out of it. 
Absolutely. You could have just ended the movie with Manny sitting in a theater, like reminiscing on what he and his friends did. Yeah, no, I, I don't, yeah, no, unnecessary for sure. I thought it was funny. So, I mean, like, I, I guess I'll say, yes, I did like it. Was it necessary to the film? No, but there, there are a lot of things that are like kind of unnecessary in the film, yeah. but this is the most unnecessary thing. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, while I was watching it, like my, I was doing like that Dwayne Johnson raised eyebrow face, you know, you know what I mean? Like the, yeah, I was like, like eyebrows, like close together. I'm like, what is it like? <laughs> yeah. And so like Wesley hasn't seen this movie yet, but when I watched the movie, Wesley was like, what did you think? Tell me about it. And I was like, openly like, Wesley, you're going to fucking hate the ending. Like, I, like, I, like, you're going to hate it. Um, but like, I kind of loved it. And like, I don't know if that makes me an idiot or what, but I kind of thought it was awesome. Uh, so yeah, I no, know. I, 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 I laughed during it, you know? So I was like, I can't hate it. I thought it was funny. <laughs> Unnecessary. If, yes. But <laughs> yeah, if that was Damien Chazelle's intention is, is a completely different conversation. Um, yeah, but I did. And I also laughed at it. I thought it was just, it's such a big swing to be like the whole movie is just like, look movies. And then at the ending, it's just him like punching you in the face, like 15 times, like cinema. And it's, it's like, like, look more movies. <laughs> <laughs> The movies that will come in the next 60 years. It's just like, <laughs> it's a weird ending. But it worked for me. I'll be honest, I, 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 it did work for me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have any other big things to say about Babylon? I'm trying to go through here and see if there's any final points I want to make about it. But do you have anything that remains for you? I think we covered all of it. Um, yeah, I know. I mean... I I might like have it on as like background noise when it comes to streaming because mm-hmm. it's obviously going to be on like Paramount Plus or something like that. Um, and we briefly chatted about like recommending it to people. Yeah. And uh, now that we've been through this discussion, like I don't even know if I can even recommend it to the like Wolf of Wall Street people. Like I I think like thinking on it more. There are just more movies that I would like tell people to watch, I think, over this one. Yeah. Um But yeah, so I I don't know. It's this movie's nuts. <laughs> it's, it's fucking nuts. Like we just recorded a whole hour and ten minute podcast on this, and I'm just like, I feel like I just scratched the surface. What else is there to talk about? Um Yeah. No, it's but no, just... like honestly though, there there were some scenes of it that that really worked for me, like the the Gene Smart scene, like Brad Pitt just like coming to terms with like, uh, or even just Jack Conrad's character like coming to terms with the end of his career and like maybe seeing how like Brad Pitt could be feeling like similarly about like you know the end of his career. Just it's just like I feel like the movie is like really relevant to. Um, like how it's transitioning from one way of making movies to another way of making movies. It's kind of like, it's honestly like how it is today. Like mm-hmm. where everyone wants to see like, like superhero movies or like these crazy big blockbuster movies. It's like, it's like, I don't know what the art form is that they're transitioning from to make like the big blockbuster movies, but it, it it's, it feels relevant. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, I mean, like, here's an example. Um, fucking, what, what's his name? Francis Ford Coppola? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, this is a crazy little story. This guy, 
yeah, this guy is like he, you know, he's made like absolutely iconic movies on like a smaller budget, but now he has like a bigger budget for like Megapolis, and this shit is a nightmare for him, you know. And that movie's um, gone to shit. That's such a bummer to hear. That movie's really gone to shit. Yeah, it's almost like he doesn't know how to work with it, and that feels very prevalent. And like it's like the same scenario almost, you know. Absolutely. What, yeah. what, what What do you think about that? No, I think you're absolutely onto something too. Like I think, so essentially, what you're saying too is just like it's it's easier for the filmmakers who excel at what they excel at to kind of stick in that in that field. Yeah, yeah. I do think that like in specific to stick with the Francis Ford Coppola uh, example that you've you've brought up, like the fact that he's been able to make movies like The Godfather and The Godfather 2 uh, and really a bunch of other movies like Apocalypse Now and shit, like, it's a testament to his ability to work in the type of films he's always worked in. But to, like, to try and get out there into blockbuster filmmaking is, is really a whole other world. And I do think it, I do find that incredibly interesting. Yeah, so. It's kind of like a sink or swim thing, and he's, he's not able to, he's able to swim with $10 million, but he's absolutely sinking with the weight of like $120 million. Yeah. And that, that's interesting. It's like, I feel like when you have more money, you should be able to, you know, <laughs> yeah, do more. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I really got a kick out of Grace Randolph's tweet at him. And she's like, how, how you feel making a big superhero movie now? And I was like, please stop talking. No, I don't. I'm not, I'm not trying to be great. Like I'm just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, I know. <laughs> Nobody's trying to be Grace Randolph. Yeah, absolutely um, nobody. I guess, like, one thing that I thought was interesting, too, is, like, if La La Land was Damien Chazelle being like, come to L.A., the city of the dreamers. The dreamers go to L.A. and they work on movies. Everybody, come here. Come do this. Um, it almost feels like Babylon is Damien Chazelle being like, run for your fucking life. <laughs> Stay away from here. This is hell. Um, and I just found that so interesting that he's directed two movies that are both about Hollywood and one is so optimistic and the other one is just like death coke elephant shit <laughs> like I just, I just found it so interesting elephant shit <laughs> like just one is optimistic and one is pessimistic yeah yeah no I mean love it Babylon man what a absolutely crazy movie what would you rate it out of uh, out of five four nice. I gave it a four out of five on on Letterboxd Nice. It's uh, it's four and a half for me. It, it's it's right on that fine line. It's definitely not a perfect movie. Um, and if I was rating it based on like technically, it is kind of like a little bit of a mess. And I'd probably rate it a four. But I just had such a fun time, and I was just like so invested in the world, and I just can't stop talking about it and thinking about it. And I'm like, damn man, Babylon. Um, before we wrap up, one thing that I wanted to get your opinion on is the fact that this movie's pretty much been completely shut out of award season. Uh, a movie about old Hollywood. So? Yeah, I, I personally do. I, I haven't really seen any. I mean, aside from like technical stuff, it might get like score. Um, it might get some technical nominations, but I, with how divisive it is, I don't even see. I don't see it in the best picture race, and I don't even see it getting like best director or anything like that. There's no conversation around Margot Robbie's performance. Um, which That's true. If, yeah. Even Diego Calva, no conversation around it. Brad Pitt, I wouldn't expect any conversation around it, but. No, I just, there's no, I'm not hearing anyone talk about it in regards to award season. So it's just bizarre to me that Hollywood's always like such big fans of movies about Hollywood. And then Babylon, I guess, I don't know, maybe it pushes it too far or something, but they're not really responding to it. I think, I think, uh, I think 
the Academy is looking more towards the wholesomeness of movie making. So the Fablemans is here for the for the movie about making movies. <laughs> yeah, I guess they're not going to nominate two. One of which is about like, look, I fell in love with making movies and it helped me with my pain. And the other one's just like, is any of this worth it? Look what movies have done. <laughs> like, it's like they're very different tonally. Doing drugs and making movies is fun. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah. Well, thank you for chatting Babylon with me. It's it's a fucking crazy movie, and I honestly could go on it on about it for like another like thirty minutes. But should probably oh, wrap of it course, here, dude. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. As always, it's like second home, even though it's been nearly half a year since we've done this shit. <laughs> but uh, well, no, I, anytime, man, anytime. Do you want to like plug all your stuff as as per usual and and let everybody know where people can find you? Of course, of course. So um. The Kyber Culture is on socials. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Kyber Culture. Um, Kyber Culture being spelled as K-Y-B-E-R and then the word culture. And then um, you can listen to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, really anywhere you um, you listen to podcasts. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. It's just at Kyber Culture or just search the Kyber Culture. Um if you listen to podcasts on YouTube, but, um, but yeah, no, that's pretty much it. Um, also on letterboxd, I'm pretty active on letterboxd these days. Nice. Um, I'm dangerously uh, active on letterboxd. It's, it's not healthy. I need to chill it with that app. Yeah, no, uh, I, I love letterboxd. It's honestly probably my favorite social media, this one or be real. I'm not sure yet, but, um, <laughs> we were, we were talking about be real on one of our most recent pods because like, I would just wake up and it would be like time for your B reel, and I would just take like the crustiest, worst picture of me of all time. Like, oh that, no, you you don't take good pics on for B reel. <laughs> it just never happens. It's just like unless you're, it has to be the perfect moment. That that's yeah. why it's B reel. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Wesley's got some really good moments, and then like like he would be like, look at my B reel from today, and it'd be like him out in public doing some fly shit, and then mine was always just like me with a cat in my lap, like eyes half closed. <laughs> I'm like, oh man. <laughs> But yeah, my letterbox is just Kyber Culture or at Kyber Culture. Um, but yeah, so that's awesome. where I'm at. Awesome. Well, one thing I wanted to, if you've made it this far in this episode, listeners, um, what we're going to be doing, and I've already posted like a little trailer for it, but we're going to be doing a weekly Last of Us recap series in conjunction with the fact that we're still going to be putting out dive-in episodes every week as well. So we're still going to be talking movies if you're not watching Last of Us. Um, but if you are watching HBO's The Last of Us, uh, Check out our Look for the Light series, which is going to be dropping new episodes every every Monday or Tuesday, shortly after uh, Last of Us episodes premiere on Sunday. So we're we're looking forward to doing that. And Joe, as always, man, um, great having you. In fact, actually, while you're here, you're going to end up on the Last of Us podcast as well. So listeners, yeah, will we're doing it tomorrow. Yeah, uh, I'll probably be on it tomorrow. Um, I could potentially be on it multiple times. We'll see. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, man. Um, I'm pumped for The Last of Us. Like, I barely played the game. Um, but I think I played enough to understand at least the first episode to to really appreciate the first episode. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And are you gonna yeah. try and and beat the game while watching along with the series? Maybe I I definitely will be playing along with the show, so that'll be interesting. Um, yeah. I just hope the game doesn't really like big spoilers like maybe there will be spoilers but i mean after we hop on this call i mean i'm probably gonna be playing last of us so <laughs> right right so, awesome well, yeah. I, won't, I won't keep you from it man i appreciate you uh 
hopping on here for it, talking all the debauchery of Babylon. Of course, of course, yeah. No, man. Thanks for having me. As always, you can find me on Letterboxd at Hayden Kutris. You can find us on Instagram at the Dive In Movie Cast, on Twitter at the Dive In Movie Cast, and really anywhere you get your podcasts. And until next time, peace. Peace.